All right, we're going to be continuing a series uh, that we started last week and digging that. But before we do, we, gotta, we have a very special guest with us today, and I'm excited about this. A uh, little backdrop here, and, and, and that we can appreciate. You know, here at North Shore, we try to celebrate, you know, that investment that we make in people's lives. We call it disciple making. Sometimes it even happens within the family, and in fact, that's the first place it should happen, to raise up our kids like we just dedicated in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Well, you know, you're about to hear from somebody whose grandparents were at the very first service at, that North Shore uh, held. I can't I only venture to say how many years ago, but they were faithful. Uh, we lost Don Irwin last December, and then just a couple of weeks ago, we lost Fern, um, his, his wife of many years. They've been faithful saints to here at North Shore, very involved in communion. The, you know, they would prepare each week, and, and just... Uh, just a, a tremendous legacy that they left. Well, their grandson, Brian, was raised up in our youth group and felt the call to ministry right here at North Shore, and the church acknowledged that, and, and he launched out uh, actually more as a missionary to a country that you might not think would be a mission field, but Scotland is one of the toughest fields that you could serve, and, and he and his wife Kelly have been there now for 15 years, and we are partners with them and he's coming this morning to be with us to share just a little update of what God's doing in that area. So why don't you welcome uh, Brian Ingram as he comes to share with us this morning, all right? Awesome, buddy. Yeah, 25 years ago, I was part of the, the teens group here. That's uh, oh, it's like only yesterday, right? Uh, very excited to be back here. 15 years ago, my wife and I got on a plane with one-way tickets to, to move to Glasgow, Scotland. Kelly had never been east of Chicago in her life, and she was moving over there with a one-year-old and a two-year-old. And we got over there with the hopes and dreams and the, and the call of God, and yet the, the challenges were, were, were huge uh, at the beginning. In fact, we started a church in our house um, in that first year, in, uh, 15 years ago, and nobody really came, and nobody came to Christ, and so we ended up shutting that church down, and then we, we tried again, and, and again, it was a long, slow start, and we've, we'd been there for, for two years, and we, had, we hadn't even heard of anybody coming to Christ in the two years in that city. As full-time missionaries, as, uh, starting a second church, just the, the resistance to the gospel, or the apathy to the gospel even, was, was overwhelming. And so we started this second church, and again, no visitors other than the core team for the first week, uh, which is not great for launch Sunday, uh, just, just going to say. Um, no visitors for week two, or three, or five, or seven, or eight. We didn't have any visitors until week nine. Just that long, slow start. And, and f after about eight months, we were looking around, and we had just eight people. Uh, it was summer, and we're like, eight people again. Maybe we should, maybe we should give this, uh, maybe we should shut this one down and, and try again. But we, we just knew that God had been calling us to this. Now, in those early days, again, the resistance was, was so difficult, but we were learning how to pray. And we were learning uh, kind of more specifically what God was wanting to do. And then after about two years, things started to, to take off and, and started to slowly grow um, until about 2011, where we were given the opportunity to acquire this, this church building, and then the church just started to just take off. And, and really, since 2011, we've been able to start several churches in, in Scotland and uh, even in our city over the last couple of years. Um, 
one of, the, one of the things that we're excited about is we have these uh, discipleship groups, these Bible read-through groups, where we have about 400, 450 people who are, who are in these discipleship groups in Scotland and in Northern Ireland and who are just uh, getting together and pray. And again, when we moved, for, okay, about 450 people, when we moved to Scotland and we were starting in those early years, there's 168,000 university students in Glasgow. They couldn't find 400 of them going to church. And it's just that resistant. And, and yet now, just after, after these years, just being able to see that traction, we've seen, okay, I can't even remember the math again. Somebody told me this morning, 64 plus uh, 18, 64 plus 19 people um, give their lives to Jesus in the last two and a half years. 64 plus 19. Um, so that's that. And we've been able to see, 18, we've baptized 18 people since January this year. We're starting to see that fruit. Um, some, of the, some of the exciting things, uh, we, we had this building in 2011, and we've kind of outgrown it. We haven't kind of outgrown it. We've outgrown it. And so we got the opportunity to start another campus of our, of our church in Belfast, in, in Northern Ireland, uh, just, across the, just across the Irish Sea, right? Uh, and the exciting thing is um, Pastor Cannon's going to be in our Belfast church uh, next Sunday, so you can stream him uh, from, from the Belfast church. Um, no, he's going to be in, in Belfast, Northern Ireland, in our church there. But we've been able to see that about 18 months ago start and take off. And then this, um, this next week or two, we're going to find out if we're going to be able to purchase another building in, in Glasgow, in Scotland, to expand. This is a building we're looking at, uh, at purchasing. It seats about 1,100, and it's about 20 minutes away from our current location. The inside looks like that. Um, suffering for Jesus. <laughs> And, um, and, and so we're looking at oh, potentially acquiring it in the, next, in the next 7 to 14 days. It's either going to go to us or the Catholics or the Muslims. We're all three putting bids on, on this building. It's kind of like a silent auction. So you can be praying for us. I would prefer we get it and, and get to continue advancing the gospel. There's only 27 churches in Scotland that are larger than 350 that would believe in an active God. There's only 27. And so God has just really uh, been uh, pouring. And, and actually, I was sitting around the table with uh, Barna Research a few years ago with, with these pastors, and they, they asked us, how many of you were born in Scotland? And no hands went up. And, and that, that God is just ha is sending in uh, people from, from around the world to go and to lead churches that will, that will bring in the gospel. So many of the great Scottish preachers and, uh, and missionaries of the past have gone out, and we feel it's a great privilege to be able to be in Scotland now re-evangelizing their great-grandchildren who have um, nearly forgotten, who have, who have forgotten the gospel. So it's pretty special to be a part of it. Thank you. And you're a part of this, too, with your generosity and with your prayers. Thank you for being a part of that. Um, yeah, so if you want to ask any more questions, uh, Kelly and I will be out in the lobby. This is my wife, Kelly. Hello, Kelly. Hi. Thank you for coming with me all these years. Um, so we're going to be out in the lobby. and We're going to pray for Brian and, and for Kelly and for this ministry and, and even for the needs that are in front of him. Um, yeah, next week, uh, Josh, the pastor of the Belfast Church, is going to be in Brian's church because he's over here. And your pastor, Ken, is going to be in Josh's church in Belfast next week. So um, one of the things as we pray, I just want you guys to know, uh, during the month of July, a lot of times that's a time that I set aside to just do a study break or just kind of perceive where God's taking us on a teaching calendar for the coming year. And so I'm going to weave that into that time. So as you're praying 
uh, for myself. Uh, if you could include that, I really, really appreciate it. We'll talk a little bit more about it in, the, in a moment. But this is exciting, and uh, God's breaking through some real strongholds that have been there for a long time, and he's using Brian and Kelly in their ministry to do that. So let's lift them up before the Lord. Father, thank you uh, so much for your servants and uh, that we get to be a part of that. It's pretty exciting uh, just to have a partnership with somebody who has been willing to be obedient, to go, to go into the, the far reaches. And, you know, sometimes we have to change our thoughts, our paradigm to think of, of Europe and, and even Scotland as being a place that needs to be evangelized uh, because so many of the leaders came out of there centuries ago. But now, Lord, as they go into this place and as you're beginning to show favor and fruit uh, as a result of that faithfulness, uh, we're excited and we just pray that that would exponentially grow beyond our, our even imagination. We pray specifically that uh, if it's your will that these doors would open uh, for this facility and that the next time Brian comes back that we'll hear reports of that place being filled with seekers and, and believers and followers of you uh, just as a result of the faith represented there. So we, we commit ourselves, Lord, to just keep lifting them up as you bring them to more, our mind, our attention, and to pray for them. Uh, we look forward to even the days ahead for the refreshment that uh, Brian and Kelly are going to receive uh, while they're, they're here with family and, and just taking these times uh, away. Um, and even pray for the ministry there in Belfast as, as that's just emerging and you're beginning to touch the hearts of the folks that are there that have really been impacted by a lot of trouble over the years. And so we just pray that we can bring a message of hope there as well. So look forward to all this. We commit it into your hands today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Thank you for being here, buddy. It is always a pleasure. It's exciting stuff. Well, we, uh, we're picking up our series for, that we kind of launched last week uh, in John 17. Th this is what we commonly call the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It is, uh, some, some have dubbed it the holy of holies, that uh, you're, you're, you've got a window into the heart and the mind of Christ like no other place. Uh, the occasion is most likely the upper room. Uh, it's at the end of the discourse that he shared in, in John 13, 14, 15, 16. And, and now at the end it says he, he kind of moves into this prayer. I don't know if he's still in the upper room at that point or if he's taken the disciples and they begin to, to go down the Kidron Valley toward Gethsemane where he also will pray in preparation for the cross. But uh, there is so much in this prayer and this is one of the reasons why the the, uh, the team, uh, especially, I know Scott was, uh, was just particularly, uh, you know, th thoughtful and led, led and, and we shared this together and we kind of laid this out. Uh, you know, I got the assignment this weekend with, with only one verse. <laughs> one verse. So we're going to be done in about 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> not really. <laughs> um, but I got to tell you guys, this, this is a great verse. <laughs> This, this has so much in it, and, uh, and it's been kind of fun to wrap yourself around what Jesus is revealing in, um, in the phrase that he shares. Uh, I appreciate uh, Stuart and Amanda kind of launching us last week on the intimacy with God and that that is eternal life. It's not something that's way out there or well beyond or after we die. It's something that starts here and it starts now, and eternal life is to know Jesus. And he starts this section off and um, just reiterating last week, the very first verse, he is saying, Father, I want to I glorify you because the hour has come. The hour has come. We're just literally hours away in this setting from the cross. And I'm sure that that's what he is referring to. He's been 
He's been preparing people for it, his disciples for it. They didn't quite comprehend, but now that hour has come, and he's saying, God be glorified. Now, the verse that we're looking at today, verse 4, you see at the top of your notes, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I glorified you on earth by accomplishing the work that you, you called me to do. That's quite a statement. He, he's, he's at the end of his earthly ministry and now he's summing it all up and he's saying, I accomplished the work that you called me to do. Is there anyone in the room today that wouldn't love to be able to pray that at the end of their journey? I did what you told me to do, Lord. That's what I, I came to do and I, I carried that out. And as I look at this verse, it is just so rich, um, especially this idea, what is, what is that work all about? But before we get there, Here's this word that is gonna be seen several times throughout this, this teaching, okay? It's the word glory. We use that word pretty freely. We must have sang it maybe three or four times in the songs that you sang today, that the name of Jesus be glorified, and we say that, and it just rolls off our lips, right? But have you ever really thought what the word glory means? If he's saying, I glorified you while I was here on earth, what is he really describing? What is he talking about? And I want to suggest to you that if you look at that term, here's what it really means. It means to manifest something that previously has been hidden, uh, of, of a truth or of riches or a value, something that previously was a mystery, it wasn't known, but now it has been made known. That's what the word glory means. To glorify him means he's taken something that before then you didn't understand, you didn't comprehend, but now he's made it known. You'll pick up that from the terms revelation or reveal or manifest, that I've taken something, God, that up to this point was kind of a secret, but now this has been made known. That's glory. So for him to say, I've glorified you by doing these things here on earth, it's saying, people are gonna see things about you and learn things about you or understand things that they up to this point didn't comprehend. And that's why verse one he says, I, I wanna glorify you by the hour that is ahead of me, by the cross that's in front of me. And guys, would you, would you say that we learn things about God when Jesus went to the cross? We learned about his love, we learned about his sacrifice, I mean, when we say those great words from John 3.16, that God loved the world so much that he gave his son, that's his glory because up to that point, that's not the comprehension that we had about God. So that's, that's kind of the backdrop here, okay? Now, he's saying in this verse four, I glorified you on earth. How did he glorify? Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now I have to admit that over the years that I, I read this passage, that I immediately or instinctively thought he was referring to the work being the cross, right? And I don't think there's anybody that would argue that the work of Christ, I mean he came to earth for the purpose of sacrificing for our sins so that you and I could have um, forgiveness of our sins. We couldn't pay that debt ourselves, we're not good enough. Anybody that is sinful cannot pay the debt for our sin. It had to be a sinless one to do that. And so when Jesus went to the cross, he did a work that, that we couldn't do, okay? And that's what verse one talks about. Glorify your name by the hour that's coming. So that was kind of future tense. 
But here's, here's what I've recently kind of figured out or learned is that when you look at this verse, that is not future. He said, I glorified you by accomplishing the work that was already, has already been done. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. So I don't believe he could be referring to the cross there. Some writers just naturally assume that, but if you, if you look at this, there's something else he's referring to that brought glory to the Father. And here's the premise that we're working with today. You can see the title of today's message is One Purpose. And if we could dig into and discover what that work that he's referring to that was accomplished, that same Jesus is alive now within our hearts. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the purpose he had while he was here on earth, if he's working through our lives and even through our church collectively as the body of Christ, I think it's going to look, the work is going to look, look similar, if not the same, as what the work he accomplished there. Are you with me so far? Okay. So, if we could, could pay attention and say, okay, Jesus, when you prayed this prayer, I accomplished the work you gave me to do. What, what were you referring to? And I, I, I suspect there's two areas that he's referring to. The first one is what you, if you hang out here at North Shore for any length of time, you're going to find out this is, this is kind of our passion. This is what we're about, is to make disciples who can make disciples. And that's the first area that I want us to consider. And the reason or the basis why I think that that may be in fact what he, he's you know, qualifying here is that in verse six, he goes on to say, I have manifested, there's that word, okay, I've revealed things in your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Um, you know, interestingly, that verse where, he, where it's used for people, uh, one of the original translations says, the men that you gave me. I have to say this, that some Bible translators today are kind of smoothing out the gender issue, and so they'll make it a kind of a, the, the folks or the people or the general, but I think literally the word there was the men, which tells me he's most likely referring to the disciples. And the next prayer, he's saying, I gave them your word, and they obeyed your word, and, and uh, I was with them. You, they were in the world, but you gave them out of the world. I think he's referring to this business of, of pouring into these, these 12 followers of his, we call them the disciples, over a three-year period of time. And that was a work that God called him to do. And I think in this prayer, when he said, I accomplished that work, he's now at the end of that. He's getting ready to hand it off. He's just giving a discourse about, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but you're going to receive the Spirit. And when they got ignited, man, they set the world on fire. Friends, that's why we're here today is because Jesus invested in these few uh, individuals that were followers of his. And friends, they were very common, believe me. They were very common individuals, but because they were with Jesus... It made all the difference. And I think if we, if we're going to truly adopt this purpose of Christ, I think it's going to look a lot like what Jesus did with those 12 guys. And this is the reason why at North Shore we're committed to what we would call disciple making. And I think there's some, some factors that that we have to you know, kind of be re, uh, united around as we do this. And this is why we keep pressing in uh, with this theme is because it's so essential to the purpose of carrying out what, what Jesus has called us to do. 
So kind of with that in mind, there are just several things that I want to reiterate. I want to just kind of review for us. If we're going to follow his purpose, we're going to, we're going to need to get some things right. And I think the first thing is, is the goal that he's called us to. There is a goal. There's something reaching out there that we're aiming for. And, and it's not just about reaching converts or making people uh, new converts for the kingdom, but actually to make disciples. Because when you raise somebody up to become a mature disciple that can reproduce themselves, friend, converts are going to come with that. Unfortunately, there's a lot of churches today that are structured and set up just to reach new people, just to build a crowd. And, and then they just keep moving on. And, and, you know, I hate to use the, the, the phrase, but sometimes, you know, it, it almost feels like it's a mile wide but an inch deep because they're not concentrating on the depth of the maturity. They just want more, you know, more, maybe more converts. But I think Jesus taught us that it was about raising these disciples because that's what was going to multiply. That was what was going to reproduce. And friends, that takes time and, and, and it takes energy, it takes relationship, as we'll talk about. And have any of you discovered that relationships get messy sometimes? <laughs> and, and sometimes it's easier just to sit back and watch and, and just kind of let things go, to get involved and to, and to truly invest in another person's life to help them to grow. Um, it, it really takes some courage, but I think that's what Jesus modeled. I think the second thing is as important is that we understand what we mean when we say a disciple. I, I know a lot, most churches, most, most churches that are following Christ would say that they're, they're part of the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. And, and yet, if you ask them, okay, what do you mean by a disciple? And that's one of the reasons why here at North Shore, repeatedly we share with you that the definition of a disciple is in the invitation that Jesus gave. When he said, come follow me, and I will make you, what? Fishers of men. And we try to simplify that and just simply point out a disciple is a follower of Christ. He's the one that's directing your life. He's the one that's kind of calling the shots. He's the Lord, all right? He's the one that, that is directing you. They're a follower. They're being changed or transformed by Christ because he says, I'm going to make you. I'm going to make you somebody that you're not presently. And, and I'm going to challenge you guys. If you've been in the church for three years or five years or ten years and you look back and you say, you know what, I, I don't know if I can appreciably say there's been a lot of change in my life in that amount of time. I would say that's a red flag. Would you agree? We should be seeing some growth. We should be seeing a change and transformation more into the likeness of Jesus. That's his intention. And the third thing is we're on mission with him. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Okay, from now on you guys are going to go uh, and you're going to serve me and my purposes so that folks will understand what this kingdom is, is all about. So there's the right definition, okay? Um, I, I believe that, you know, as you, as you continue to, to think about this, you're going to see that the method that he did or used was just as important as the message. It's as, as sacred as the message. And how he did it was he collected a few guys, 12 guys to be exact, and he said, come follow me. And, and he, for the next few years, he was with them. He was with them. They, they went through the days. They went through the nights. They went through the ups and the downs. They laughed together. They cried together. They watched miracles. They had questions. I mean, they were with him. And so one of the first things in the method that we learned that he, he did, it was in a relationship. What we do here in the crowd like this is not, not, 
what we consider what, what this disciple making is about. It's about being in a, a smaller relational environment. Usually we define that as three to maybe 12 or 15 people at the most. Many of you are in small groups or are life groups, and you notice when that group get, gets to be 20, 23, 26 people in that group, it changes, doesn't it? Because at that point, people can sit on the wings and they don't have to participate anymore. You can just become an observer. And, and, and the growth isn't going to happen. It's when you're in smaller groups and where folks know you well enough and know you intimately to where they can encourage you, they know your struggles, they can pray for you, they can challenge you, they can rebuke you. Who wants that, right? But you know what? We need that. We need people who know us well enough in the name of Jesus that can love us in all, all its facets. So, so this, is, this is what we're intending toward. And the the other thing is you're going to find is that, um, that the results are going to be uh, according to his purpose. And that's simply this, to raise up folks who are solid, who are spiritual, who are mature, who are healthy, so that now they can be spiritual parents and raise up future followers of Jesus and even raise them to maturity. And it that's the goal. Guys, you know, again, if a lot of churches, if you ask, what is your goal? What is, what is success to you? And many places would define that by the number of bodies that they, they collect on a weekend, maybe. That's, how, that's what success is. Or the number of dollars that they raise. That's what success is. Or a building that they build. That's what success. We don't define it that way here. We define success as helping somebody grow to the point of maturity to where now they are mature enough to where they can begin to invest in a third spiritual generation. That's it. And there, there's a process that, that we're part of, and we just keep, uh, keep toward that. This is the vision that we have of, of seeing that, and we celebrate that when it happens, and it's happening all over the place. And I'm, I'm just so grateful to be a part of that. It's just a privilege to have a front row seat and to see that happening right here in our fellowship. So I, I think that this is what Jesus was talking about. You know, I know some of you note takers, you're gonna drive, get drive nuts because I didn't fill in the blanks in the little quote up there. But I remember reading from Jim, from Jim Putnam. I gotta make some adjustments there, by the way, because I always get hit up after the service and I say, well, we just need to put the answers up somewhere or give you the answers afterwards. Some of you are just kind of anal that way. You just have to, have to fill that in. I understand that, so I do it. But uh, this quote from Jim, he says, before Jesus focused on doing something, he focused on being in relationship with God and his disciples. You know, so... So this, this was his purpose. When he said, I accomplished the work, the first work was to be in connection and relationship with his father, and then, then he's describing this, this discipling relationship he had with these men, okay? And that's what we're part of, and that's what we want to be a part of. That's the first thing. Here's the second part. I cannot help, when I hear this prayer going up, I accomplished the work that you called me to do what I tend to do is I kind of scan over the life of Jesus and the gospel, okay? And I, I try to detect, okay, when was Jesus kind of cutting right to the chase and saying, this is it, this is what it's all about. And one of those occasions was um, in Luke 19, and he had just had an encounter with a, a guy named Zacchaeus. Most of you recognize Zacchaeus. He was, a, he was a tax collector. Actually, he was the chief tax collector. And probably by virtue of that position, he was not a very liked person. All right? 
would anybody argue with that? <laughs> All right, I think we know some of the tendencies in the, the, uh, of that time, and, and uh, he had the potential of, of cheating people or, or you know, kind of swindling them or taking more than what, what was right. But he was probably not liked by a lot of people. So when Jesus walked through the town of Jericho that he lived, he apparently was a, a short-statured man, and he climbed up in a tree so he could see. Jesus stops, and he points up there, and he says, Zacchaeus, I, I have to come to your house today. Everybody watching this was taken back. They said, wow, Jesus, he's going to the home of a sinner? And then comes this phrase that really nails it. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save the lost. And so as Jesus prays that I've accomplished this work that you've called me to, was that work to do just that? To seek and save those who are lost? I go back to Isaiah 61, where, again, you get to the essence of what the Messiah would do. This is written hundreds of years before Jesus shows up. But Isaiah, uh, this passage, and some of us will remember Jesus read from this very scripture at his home church in Nazareth. And, and he, he rolls it out and he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. He's describing the essence of what this work and this ministry, this, this accomplished ministry is gonna be about. That's what he was about. It's setting people free. Isn't that the description? He said they've been like in prison and they've been set free. They were, they were bound and he's setting them free, the liberty. And that's where lost people are at. They, uh, sometimes they don't know it. But guys, would you agree that we are, we are surrounded by folks today that are in this state of darkness and, and just captivity? And the message of Jesus is to go after them and to seek them. And, and this, is what, this is what is being revealed. This is the glory like we talked about at the start. We're learning things about God and his nature. Think about this a moment. The only view of God, the perception of God that the folks at Jesus' time had was he was aloof, he was holy, but he was aloof, he was unapproachable. How would we know that? Their very system said only one guy gets to go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And, and then they'd tie a rope around his ankle just in case he died, you know, so they could pull him out. I mean, think about this. This is why this song we sang a few minutes ago, the veil was torn at the coming of Jesus. A whole new revelation. This is glory, isn't it? This is the manifest of what was hidden, and now it's being made manifest. Not only is our God approachable, but in their thinking of that time, the worse you were, the more unapproachable God was. But Jesus sets that totally upside down and he says, the worse that you are, the more I'm gonna come after you. I am going to seek you. I'm going to be relentless and come after you. That's glory. <laughs> that's a manifest of the heart of God that they had no clue. And friends, if that's the purpose of Jesus, if that's what he's all about, 
and we want to um, serve the purpose and accomplish the same work, then I think we're going to look, look like that. Would you, would, would you agree? This is what it's going to look like individually, collectively, as a church. You know, I, I, I thought about this, and um, we had the opportunity to, to be at a conference, uh, the North American Christian Conference, and uh, one of the gals that was speaking, her name is uh, Danielle Strickland, and she, she uh, has been devoted to this kind of ministry of setting the captives free. She's particularly involved in the sex trafficking around the world and setting up places where these uh, victims can come out and, and be set free, literally. And I mean, you talk about a dark world, and it's just horrific, the, the stories, the scenarios, and yet here, this is so the heart of Christ of, of what she's about. And she uses this term oppression to describe where so many of them, and friends, it's right here in this room today. And she defined oppression as any belief that we have that we cannot change our circumstance, that we cannot, that we are locked in. We can never improve. We can never uh, you know, adjust or, or alter our circumstance. We are locked in. We're not smart enough. We're not strong enough. We don't have the ability. These beliefs that folks have that they get locked in to these oppressive scenarios, that's what it looks like. And then she said something I'll never forget, that fear is the currency of oppression. Fear is the currency of oppression. And when the enemy whispers in your ear, and it's, it's backed up with fear, friends, that's his native tongue. That's what he sounds like. When you hear fear slipping in saying, you know, you'll never do that. And boy, if you try, uh, you know, it will not work. It'll never work out. It's going to be a disaster. It'll be a train. These kind of, of words, folks get locked in. They're enslaved. And I, I venture to say there's some in the room this morning. You walked in the doors, and you know exactly what the Lord's talking about. You've allowed yourself to slip into substance abuse of all kinds of forms. And maybe you've been to treatment after treatment after treatment, and nothing, nothing's been able to set you free. Friends, you can only be free, I think, believe, when Jesus Christ has set you free. You will be free indeed. That's who he came for. Folks are locked into bitterness and resentment. You got sideways in a relationship. Things were said, hurt, and, and you get locked into this mode to where that voice just overpowers, it overwhelms, and you think, you know, nothing's going to change. This will never get better. That's a lie straight from hell. And Jesus wants to set you free from that. Any number of scenarios that you feel like, boy, it's just never going to change. I hope if anything we hear today that Jesus Christ is, is the Lord of all, and he came to seek those who are in that oppressive state. We use the word lost, but friends, that's a pretty general term. And those he's come to bring back, to bring back to, to truth, to wholeness, and uh, into relationship, and just to begin to see the power of God begin to just set you free. Galatians 5 said, for Christ came for freedom. He doesn't want you to be locked up anymore. He doesn't want you to be bound up anymore. You'll be free. And, um, and I think, all right, we, we understand that. Well, let's, let's just talk about reality. You know, why is it that more churches, why is it that more Christians don't see things the way Jesus sees them? And friends, I've got to tell you right out of the front, 
I'm at the, I'm at the front of the line on this. My sight can be, uh, can be scarred. My sight can be uh, diminished from what Jesus sees by sometimes just doing the stuff that we do, the nuts and bolts that we do, and just kind of keep. Sometimes, even here at North Shore, you know, we've got such a great ministry here, and I could, I could be f- so focused inside on what we're doing here that I lose my sight on what's going on out there. And I'm praying, and I'm asking you for prayer, that, that the Lord will help to make some adjustments in this area. And I know that this is part of this work. Here's why I know that. If you're looking at your, your notes in your hand, there's a passage in a story that John uh, told earlier in chapter 4, and he literally said these words. Jesus is saying these words. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to, what does it say? It's in bold. What does it say? Read it out loud. Accomplish his work. Okay. Now, if you're inquisitive like I am, if I read that in light of our theme today that we're praying, he says, glorify your name by accomplishing the work. What was going on here? We're going to get a little front row seat to what, this, what he meant. What was this work? Here's what happened. Can I just kind of fast forward to the scenario? He, he and his disciples took a route that they typically didn't take back from Jerusalem up to the Galilee. Normally they go down the Jordan River. This time they're going through Samaria. Maybe you know enough about the Samaritans and how much they hated them that they'd do anything. They, don't, they go twice the distance just to avoid going through Samaria. But this time Jesus said, well, we must go through Samaria. They come to Jacob's Well, a very famous spot. It's on the outskirts of the town. So the only people that typically would use that well were travelers or outcasts. Well, it so happens that he meets a woman there, and she is in the second category. <laughs> he starts com- conversing with her. He breaks two rules, by the way. One of them, a, a Jewish man would not speak to a woman like that. Number two, he would not speak to a Samaritan. And, and he engages in conversation, and all of a sudden, man, she opens up, and he starts telling her things about herself that, that he, only, only God could know. She gets so excited that she runs back into town and tells everybody about it. Come out and see the man that told me all this stuff about me, okay? Well, at the same time, if you read the story, the disciples show up. They had been in town. Jesus was by himself. They had been there running there and probably getting some food, okay? And um, they come back. And they see Jesus. John does something interesting. He, he, he mentions what they did not ask him, which is unusual for a storyteller. <laughs> Usually he tells them what they did, but he says they did not ask him who he was talking to or why he was talking to her. He didn't ask him what was that all about. John says that specifically. But what did they do? As soon as they get to Jesus, the first thing they said is, hey, Jesus, you want something to eat? You want something to eat? Now picture this. Can you picture this? A whole town is, is, is coming out toward Jesus. People that are seeking, people that are lost. And, and your disciples that you've invested in have just said, hey, do you want something to eat? That's, that's always on their mind. And I think it kind of frustrated Jesus because the next word he says is, my food is to do the will of my Father and accomplish the work that he's called me to. So he's saying, you're talking about food over here, you know, and here's a whole town of lost people. Are you you seeing this with me? Now listen to what he says. What do they need? They need to change how they see things. 
They're not seeing what he's seeing. And so he says, don't you know that you say there's four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white unto harvest. We have got to change the way we see things. And we've got to see things the way Jesus sees things. I need to see things the way Jesus sees things. I'm telling you, friends, that if we start seeing lost people the way that Jesus sees them, it's going to change a lot of things about us, about how we, how we do things. And if there's one thing that I'm sensing, and I'm, I'm just asking for your prayers, guys, you know, that, that even in these days that I like to, again, kind of pull away and just kind of perceive, Lord, what are you saying to us? Where are we going to go? What is some of the teaching that we need to focus on? Where, what is the direction, you know, that, that you're kind of guiding us these days? And if I could sum it up, what I'm sensing is God wants us to begin to shift from an internal focus to an external focus. We need to start looking outside and see that the fields are white. We've been spending years preparing ourselves as disciple makers, and we have come a huge, long way to raising up mature leaders. Many of you are ready to enfold and to embrace the crowds, the towns that will come out to see Jesus when we begin to focus our gaze. And I, 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 I just sense God is leading us that way. Don't know what it looks like yet, but I know that, um, I know that God, God is capable of giving us everything that we need uh, to be able to share that message with boldness. You know, this, uh, this last week we were, I was listening to a, uh, one of the speakers, his name is Chris Hodge, and he was talking along these lines. In fact, some of these, these thoughts and everything was, was part of some of the things he shared, and it just it really struck me. But what really impacted was a story he shared about his own family. And he had five children, and he said they were on vacation uh, in Colorado, and his youngest uh, is autistic. He's a little boy named Joseph. And as they were headed out of the, the restaurant one evening, uh, the family just kind of was mingling and going out the door, and nobody really paid attention to where Joseph was. As soon as they got out, somebody suggested there was an ice cream store just practically right next to this restaurant, and they went out and immediately dipped back into the ice cream store. Well, little Joseph went out, and he didn't see any of his family. And he starts wandering around, and, and just the nature, you know, of where he's at, he, he began to become frantic. And he began to run and began to, you know, look everywhere, crying out. And when the family realized that he wasn't with them, as soon as they came out, they didn't see him anywhere. Chris was describing as a father what that felt like. And he said their whole family mobilized for the next 45 minutes to look for him. And, and Chris said, I, I remember catching him walking across a little bridge and he was, he was just crying, tears, and just frantic, and his heart was just breaking. And he called out his name, Joseph, you know, and he began running, and he grabbed him as tight as he could, and he says, Daddy, I, look, I was looking all over for you. And Chris confessed, he said, this, as a pastor, this changed my heart in a way that nothing else had about what it means to seek and save the lost. If we had that kind of passion of a father for their child. Did Jesus not tell a story along those lines in Luke 15 about a child that was lost and came back and the, the picture? Friends, that's the glory. 
That's the revelation of a hidden nature of our Heavenly Father. And, uh, and I think for us today, if we could get these two things, that, that it was the work of Jesus to make disciples who in turn can reproduce themselves into a, another spiritual generation, and then secondly, if we could begin to see what Jesus sees, especially the fields that are wide into harvest, I think it'll change everything. And that's my challenge to you today. I just want to ask you a quick question. Who is your one? Who is, who is at least one person that you can identify that you're investing in intentionally, that you're working with them, that you're modeling for them, that you're go, do, going through the ups and downs, that they can watch you, that you've been vulnerable about so I said, watch how I live. Not that you're perfect, but that you're walking this thing out. Is there any one person that you're willing to enter into that with? And the second thing is, would you pray with me today that the Lord would give you a fresh vision, fresh, fresh eyes to see. You know, there's a story about a blind man that Jesus came across one day, and, it, and he, kind of gross, he, he made a little spitball, you know, a little mud, and it says it put it on his eyes, and then he asked him, what do you see? Remember the story? And he says, I, I see men, but they're like trees. You remember that? Have you ever thought to the fact that how did he know what a tree looked like? He must have had sight at one point that he lost. And now, it's, now he changes this. He, he heals his eyes, but he's just seeing them as trees. And Jesus, it says, touched him a second time. And then he said, now he could see things clearly. And I venture in this room today, there are many followers of Christ and there was probably a time when your heart probably did beat with passion for, for lost folks. <laughs> and maybe, maybe some of that has been lost. Maybe we just don't see the things that Jesus has seen. And he wants to, he wants to touch us a second time so that we will see clearly. Are you open for that? Are you willing to allow him uh, to begin to change us? Like I told you a few minutes ago, I'm at the front of the line. I, I, I need the Lord for that fresh glimpse of what's happening. Friends, we live in a, a, an area that we are surrounded by hundreds of thousands of people that, that I, I just don't know, uh, understand what we, we talk about, about a, a personal relationship with Christ. But it'll change everything. <laughs> it'll change everything. We're going to uh, invite our worship team to come and close us. And I hope you'll pay attention to the words of this song that we're going to sing. Because one of the things it says is, is that when he moves in our life, he changes us. He changes the way we see things. He changes what we seek. Think about that as we sing these words. I hope there'll be an honest uh, reflection or, or representation of, of what we're hearing him say today. If you're here today and maybe you're just taking some first initial steps toward a relationship with the Lord, I, I'm so glad that you're here. Glad that you're seeking that out. And I hope you'll find Christ in this place. If we can help you, come alongside of you, please let me know. Um, but, uh, but I just trust that we'll hear as a, as a congregation, as a family, of what he's calling us to, and then we'll carry that out. Amen? Let's stand together. I want to pray for you and pray with you about this, and, and then we'll sing together. Lord, thank you for your word today, and we... Uh, <sighs> Today, we, we want to thank you for your glory. 
The fact that you didn't leave us in the dark, you didn't leave these things a mystery or a secret, but you've revealed them. I hope that we've had uh, a discerning uh, heart and eye and ear to hear what you have for us. God, I, I just sense going back to some of the things we talked about earlier about oppression. If there's a, a brother or sister here today that there was something kind of raw when we spoke about that, something uh, very personal, the easiest thing to do is just to be kind of brush it aside and get back to business as usual. I hope we won't do that. Because I believe, Lord, your heart is, is, to, is to deliver, is to set free, is to, is to unlock that door that may be holding some captive right now. In the quiet of this moment, if that describes any, anything like where you're at, you know, the Lord just said, if, if you'll just be open with this, if you'll confess this with your heart, with your mouth, he says the Lord God is capable of forgiving you and doing just what we said. He'll set you free. And I know it's hard to believe that, but the enemy would like you to believe it's impossible, but it's not. The first step is to believe what Jesus says is the truth. And as we pray today, Lord, we just offer this up to you and just say, look into our hearts, search us. If there's anything there, Lord, that, uh, that needs to be, uh, you know, just kind of held or, you know, surrendered over to you, God, would you just take that today? And, um, and that we can be enjoy the freedom that you, you've come to bring us. God, if somebody doesn't have a personal relationship with you and they're just beginning to seek what that's about, maybe today they just uh, listen to your word. You said, call upon my name and you will be saved. And maybe they want to call out Jesus. Save me. I, I need your, your salvation. I need the forgiveness of my sins. I want to live my life in a way that pleases you from now on. So God, just listen to the hearts, even as we worship you with these words, and uh, I pray that they will be representative of our, our hearts to you. We love you, Lord, today, and we thank you uh, that you, you continue to <laughs> abide with us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing.